This episode of the Disney Film Project podcast is brought to you by touringplans.com. It is the one-stop shop on the internet for figuring out how you are going to plan your Disney vacation, Disneyland or Disney World, it doesn't matter. Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, you want to figure out how to get there and not wait in line? This is how you do it, touringplans.com. At Disneyland, you're trying to figure out how to get out there and how to navigate all the cool new stuff like Cars Land and Buena Vista Street and all that great stuff without having to wait in line, touringplans.com. You can optimize your touring plans, check the crowd calendar, do all kinds of great stuff. Make sure you check that out over at touringplans.com. They're the sponsor of this week's episode of the Disney Film Project Podcast. Welcome again, everybody, to the Disney Film Project Podcast. This is the show where we talk about the films of the Walt Disney Company. Marvel, Pixar, Lucasfilm, anime, live action, Disney Toon Studios, everything and anything that comes out from Disney. We try to cover it here on this program and over at DisneyFilmProject.com. I'm Brian Kilpatrick, host of the program, and along with the folks you're about to meet, we run DisneyFilmProject.com, where you can find show notes for this very podcast, you can find Blu-ray and DVD reviews, and you can find reviews of Disney shorts and features going all the way back to the films of the 1920s, so make sure you go and check that stuff out over at DisneyFilmProject.com. Joining me, as always, we have our fine film experts, uh, the man who makes the sky fall, Mr. Todd Perlmutter. I will survive. I will survive. Are you sure? Sure. I'm just saying. Uh, And from all places around the interwebs, we have Mr. Rachel Cole. Hello. Good to be here. Glad to have you here. And, of course, we have our fine producer, uh, the person who keeps the trains running on schedule and makes sure that we are ready to go and up and running every week, uh, Miss Cheryl Perlmutter, who you can find on Twitter, at CherylP3. How are you, Cheryl? I'm doing good. Glad to hear it. All right, so today, tonight, tomorrow, wherever you are, when you are listening out there in Radio Land, we are talking about Chicken Little. Uh, it's just an odd little film in the history of Disney is probably the best way to put it. Uh, from 2005, uh Surprisingly to me, at least, I don't know if you guys were surprised by this. Like, was actually quite the box office success. It really was. I did yeah. not recall it that way. And it's also the worst reviewed of all of the Disney animated films, including Home on the Range and Mars Needs Moms. <laughs> Which is, I would say, unfortunate. But that's a whole other story. Yeah, but this is the film. This is this is a very important film. I say because. Uh, it, let's let's go back in the Wayback Machine. Todd, if you could crank that up for us. <laughs> so so back, you know, 10 years ago to 2005, and uh, in October, November-ish time frame, Disney is in the midst of renegotiating their Pixar deal. Remember before Disney bought Pixar, that was a thing that was going to happen? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, And so Disney had made Dinosaur with – if you remember at the time, it was called the Secret Lab. You guys remember this? They built their own computer animation studio called the Secret Lab that was mocked mercilessly in The Emperor's New Groove, which was directed by Mark Dindle, the director of this film. Uh, And they produced Dinosaur, this combo live action with uh, animated dinosaurs on live action plates – 
But Chicken Little would be the very first computer animated film produced by Disney Feature Animation. And as we well know, that's pretty much all they do these days. Yes. Well, actually, technically, it was the very last kiss when Lasseter took over right after this. He renamed the, the studio was renamed from Feature Animation. Good point. Good point. Yep. But it's, it's, it's the first one that how about Walt Disney Productions? The first one that they uh, they put out. Yes. Yeah. Right, because it should be noted that, as, as we talked about in the dinosaur episode, the dinosaur does have computer animation in it, but it is mixed with hand-drawn animation. And live-action plates, right? And live-action. Like, so yep. Yeah. It's the, the dinosaurs are walking around in real environments. That was, like, one of the big selling points of that movie. And why it was so expensive, too. <laughs> But yeah, so this one was, uh, it's funny, it holds, like I said, a significant place in Disney history. It often gets very, very forgotten because it's also the last Disney film, like you just mentioned, Todd, before John Lasseter came in. Uh, so it this is the last film that does not bear any of his imprint whatsoever. This was made without any Lasseter input. And Disney, like we said, was in the midst of renegotiating or trying to figure out what they were going to do with the Pixar deal. And both Pixar and Disney just waited to see how this film did at the box office before they started negotiating again. And this film came out in November of 2005. Right. Well, it's because Lasseter, the story goes, told them across the table, you guys don't know what you're doing and can't put out a movie like this. Which yeah. and I, yeah, I I can't really argue with that too much. Yeah, yeah, and so November of two thousand five, this movie comes out, and in January of two thousand six, Disney purchased Pixar. So regardless of the box office, <laughs> I think Disney and Pixar figured out uh, what was going on because it's not like you saw a lot of Chicken Little merchandise flying off the shelves. No. Is there any chicken? <laughs> oh, there was. There was quite a bit of it. Actually, yeah, he was in the parks too. Yeah, there was a lot of chicken little out there because Disney wanted it to be a huge success and make a lot of money for them, not just at the box office, but in consumer products. And yet, not so much. And the soundtrack was also very popular because of the songs that are on it. So yeah, because <laughs> it's basically every song that Rent is singing the whole movie. <laughs> Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the soundtrack did well. Uh, it did fairly well at the box office, but in you know, in, in practical terms, it was the movie that sort of broke the camel's back uh, to help bring John Lasseter in and, and revitalize Disney animation. Yep. Uh, so, and it changed it, a lot. Was changed when that happened too, because like. This is the last movie to display, and it's at all the way at the end of the movie, not at the beginning of the movie. The 1985 Disney logo, the white on blue castle thing with the... Right. Right. So this is the very last movie to show that. Uh, also, uh, when Lasseter came in, he canceled the sequel to this movie. <laughs> Among other sequels yeah. as well, direct-to-video um, sequels. Right. Meet, Meet the Robinsons and Aristocats are the two other big ones that most people might remember. In fact, Aristocats 2 actually even had a television ad or something referencing it. I yeah, I believe he didn't like yeah. Meet the Robinsons. No, he did he that did was like, like Meet really the Robinsons. Good. Yeah. Know, he he did like it. It was just he didn't want to do sequels. It, he's not a sequel person. That's why it took so long to get a car sequel out and stuff like that. It's yeah, not that was it's the, not the, his the 
Yeah, exactly. The Pixar sequels are not exactly John Lasseter's favorite thing in the world. He's, he's not, not a huge fan. Um, and in fact, a lot of them are, he regarded, at least from, from reading between the lines, as uh, what should be direct-to-video sequels that are being put into movie theaters. But, you know, he only has so much control. Yep. But yeah, so this is it, it. This I think probably, and I don't know what, if you guys would agree with this. This film's more interesting as a what happened because of it and where it, the place it holds in Disney history than actually watching it. Oh yeah, right. Well, we should <laughs> we should mention that part of what happened right pr- prior to what we just discussed with John Lasseter was that a, a a guy named David Stanton took over in I believe two thousand and three. Right. Yes, that- early two thousand three. That's right. right. And he he decided to clean house. That was and a lot of people left over him taking over and stuff right. like that. And bad things happened. Um, home on the range. <laughs> oh, home on the range. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Another movie you won't find in the Disney parks. <laughs> no, thank goodness. <laughs> Singing cows would be the end of me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I I have to again go again with the with the some. There are some more people, some of these people are my friends, and they like these movies, and I agree a little bit. No, it's, it's, that's fair. Um, my, to my point is, he basically came in and he said, I don't like the movie you're making that's with the chicken, so you're going to make a whole different movie, and I want to see a different script. Right. <laughs> and, and he gets a bad rap, like, no doubt, because he, he you know, took over and he made movies like, you know, this one and others. Um, but he is also the person who moved Disney primarily from traditional animation to computer animation, which uh, you can debate that six ways from Sunday, but the, the success they're having now probably doesn't happen without him taking the hard steps and then Lasseter coming in and revitalizing the story elements. You know what I mean? Like Stanton, for good or for ill, and probably a little bit of both, remade the company like you're saying todd and then lassiter came in and got the heart back into things with with some of the movies he made so i mean like stanton stanton did he did the change whether it was good or bad is is still you know true his, his company choices may have been good his movie choices related choices were not specifically good yeah, exactly That's right. a really yeah. good way to look at it yeah exactly right um, but hey, I mean, this one has a, a you know an all star cat voice cast as Disney was was doing in these days. Um, it is full of jokes. Uh, I think I think the thing that you read most often in reviews of Chicken Little is that you know it's a there's a lot of cute uh, and there's a lot of it, it's an interesting concept and there's a lot of humor in it, but the three of those things don't exactly play together very well. I mean, that's it, like, if you read it, like each of those things individually are actually kind of cool, but when you put the cute and the crazy, the wacky high concept and the, you know, self-referential, you know, in jokes all together, they don't really make a solid movie. They, they were yeah. overdoing it to compete with Shrek at some level. Oh yes. Yeah. yeah it's and big, big I, time. I think the problem is that a lot of times they mistook just doing a reference for actually doing a joke. Because I <laughs> yes. think there's a lot of cases in which it's just a reference, but there isn't actually any setup or punchline to it. It's just, hey, that's you saw this elsewhere. Right. This right. happened in another thing. Here's what drove me up a wall with them, too, is, okay, so the thing rolls through the theater, and it's funny because on the screen is Raiders of the Lost Ark. 
Yep. But then, be, just in case you didn't know it was Raiders of the Lost Ark, we're going to show you the movie marquee to say that it was Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right. Yeah. Just, just in There's case a lot can, of that kind of thing. Right. Yes. Just in case you can't figure it out that the invading aliens are referencing War of the Worlds, we're going to have the characters tell you that. I, I mean... Yep. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, exactly. This is very on the nose. And like Rachel said, when they make references, they're, they're overt and they're just references for the sake of references. There's no, there's no real joke to it. Like whereas Shrek, and I don't personally like that movie, but I mean, like Shrek, the whole point there was it was poking fun at something. You know what I mean? And it was, but they didn't have to tell you what they were poking fun of. Yeah, definitely. Um, Or, or, or actually spell out the fact that, um, like, who Lord Farquaad is clearly a take on. Right. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and the other thing that bothers me about this one uh, is the animation itself, the computer animation. Yes. is It's so crazy because in some places, like if you look at the feathers and the way that the some of the characters look, it's like, wow, this is really super hyper detailed, especially for 2005. But in general, the animation is below even 2005 Pixar quality. Oh, yeah, my, yes. My thing was is the characters themselves look fine. But all the backgrounds and their stuff and their things, except for cars, right, look like they're not they're they're not in the same realm of animation. It, that's exactly right. They look Play-Doh-y. Like yeah. that's the best way I could say it is like you know if you think about like it looks a lot to me like not the characters like you said Todd but the the buildings and everything else looks a lot like um, what a an Ardman animation would look like. It looked like, remember they uh, used to have the online game Toontown that Disney had? Yeah, yep. It looked like they were living in Toontown. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, and that's the thing is, like, I feel like the design of the buildings and the cars and things like that was actually pretty good. You know, because it is that cute, like you say, Toontown-esque design. So the design itself, actually, I kind of like. But the quality of the animation in, in bringing that design to life is just bad. I mean, like, there's yeah. no, no two ways about it. It's just not good. Yeah, and I think the the animation on a lot of the townspeople tends to get a, very repetitive. And just, like, yeah. it, it isn't really creative. Like, by far, my favorite designs are Fish Out of Water and Chicken Little. Those are the best character designs, in my opinion, in the movie. Right, yeah. Well, here's the thing, like, so they developed some software for this movie, right? And, and one a of lot of it, yeah. And what, right, one of this it was this thing called chicken wire because what it allowed them to do was it allowed them to put um, a chicken wire frame up on the screen, you know, uh, on top of a character model and then stretch it and pull it. And Runt essentially came from them having a character that was a pig, right, and then them just stretching it in crazy directions. And then they said, we're going to use this. Yeah. And that's what he looks like. Yeah. I felt like there was a good story to be told here. You know what I mean? Because like we said, the, the I think the high concept here, which is if you haven't seen the movie, we're going to, as per usual, spoil everything. The idea that, you know, Chicken Little, the, the fable where Chicken Little says the sky is falling and no one believes him until, you know, something's actually happening. It, in this case, Chicken Little, when he says the sky is falling, it's an alien invasion. Uh, and it really is. I think that is kind of an interesting, funny, quirky little story. Uh, and the way that they chose to tell it, the emotional core of the story, is that you know that no one believes in him. And it's part of the relationship between he and his father, that his father doesn't believe him. 
but like there's whole chunks of the movie that don't really mean anything to that core emotional story or there's a whole chunk of the movie that goes way overboard in that and doesn't mean anything to the general plot. Oh yeah. yeah. His yeah. father and is the worst. Yes. Um, yes. Oh my gosh. He is the absolute worst. <laughs> like I kept thinking about, as I was watching this movie, I kept thinking about cloudy with the chance of meatballs, which has a very similar story and a very similar part yes. to it, that it's about a son and his father and their inability to communicate and their inability to connect with each other. But in cloudy, like, both sides kind of have a point. The son has a point in that the father's not supportive, but the father has a point in that the son is messing with things that he doesn't really understand. In this, the father is just terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yeah, he never believes his son and allows his son to be, you know, just destroyed by other kids. It's not even that. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't just not believe his son. He doesn't believe his son at the expense of wanting other people to just like him. Yeah. Yes. No, that's exactly it. Yeah. And it's that's the thing is like the the whole the main story of the whole alien invasion is silly as it can be uh is at least somewhat intriguing, but because the father is so one-sided, it made it hard for me to care about that part of the story. The, that's supposed to be like I say, the emotional core of the whole film. Yeah. Also, I have to ask, where was Chicken Little's mother? Because it's clear that, you know, Buck is on his own in this, but they never actually say what happened to his mom. No, they do. Uh, in the oh, reconciliation scene, he says that – he mentions that when your mom died, he says that. Oh. oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. See, yeah, I, I completely missed that. <laughs> yeah, he says your mom was better at this stuff than me. You know, he, he, so uh, he, he owned – I mean, look, the reconciliation part with the father is good, but I don't think it redeems him enough because he was so bad. Yeah, yeah I agreed. Completely agree. Yeah, and then the 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 supporting characters are good concepts, but to me, like I don't know about you guys, besides Fish, which I agree with you on that one, Rachel. <laughs> uh, besides him, I don't like any of the supporting characters. Yeah, my note on this is Fish Out of Water is the best part of this movie, and it might be because he never talks. <laughs> That's probably true. Well, he translates though. Yeah. <laughs> um, I first of all, my favorite sequence in the whole movie is the dodgeball in the gym. Yes. <laughs> Very good. And, and fish out of water just owns that whole scene. Yeah. Well, that's part of what we're talking about, though, because, like, you know, just to, to kick off the plot of the film, like, the whole point is they live in this town called Oaky Oaks and Chicken Little. Um, rings the bell to warn everyone to run for their lives because the sky is falling. Um, and, like, the entire town, like, just apparently freaks out at yeah. the drop of a hat. They make the lemmings joke, though, and it's good. <laughs> it is a good joke. That's the second time through, right? Yeah, uh, yeah that's, that's the second that's time, time through. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, first time through is the rabbit's joke yes. with all the baby bunnies. With all the bunnies being pulled out of the uh, baby carriage. And the joke that we mentioned about, you know, the, the, the ball that gets knocked loose and is uh, rolling through the movie theater right on the nose, Raiders of the Lost Ark joke, and, like, all this crazy panic. And Chicken Little says that a piece of the sky fell and hit him on the head. It was shaped like a stop sign, but he can't find it now. Uh, and he was sitting under the oak tree, and so his father sees this acorn that had fallen and says, well, it had to have been him, and Chicken Little caused this whole thing, and, you know, everybody – Everybody, he's the laughing stock of the town and everything, but it's just 
every character is so so they're all you know animals but they're so cutesy and the town is called Oaky Oaks and we have Chicken Little and Foxy Loxy and Turkey Lurkey and Buck Cluck and it's like I just wanted an animal named Steve at some point, you know? <laughs> well, you get an alien named Kirby. Which is good. I'm just saying, like, you know, if you're going to go the direction of of having this, like, referential, very modern, you know, high-concept film, naming your characters like you would have named them when Disney did this short back in 1943 is probably not the right approach. Yep. Exactly. I also want to mention that this movie opens with narration, but that never comes back. It's a good point. (laughs) I want to mention that at at this part of the movie, our roommate had to leave. And, And she was still very upset at this movie. She watched like 10 minutes of the movie and hated all of it. And she was done. Yeah, I don't blame her. I don't blame her. Uh, yeah, my 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 daughter uh, tried to watch this and she she couldn't do it. So, and she will watch anything. She was all about Brave Little Toaster to the rescue, and she could not handle Chicken Little. So, um, I, I I would I would disagree with her on that one, but you know she couldn't handle it. Uh, and so we flash then to a year later after chicken little's like, you know, been mocked and, and things. Um, and he's, he goes to school and gets picked on and, uh, has unfortunate incident with his pants, uh, as in they disappear and he has to make new pants out of his algebra homework. It looks like. Yeah. Cause he loses to gum. Yes. And then he has the unfortunate, uh, dealings that any, like it's so cliche. That's I think part of it too is like in a movie like this. That's again trying to be uh, postmodern and reference reference current times and everything to go back to every '80s high school comedy where the kid in the gym gets beat up, or the dodgeball where the popular kids beat up the unpopular kids. Like I swear, this is straight out of every like 1980s high school or elementary school film. Because oh, yes. it's it's Chicken Little, Runt of the Litter, the giant pig that we talked about, Abby Mallard, who's the uh, Joan Cusack character that apparently had to be in every 2000s Disney animated film. <laughs> of and, course. And yeah. Fish Out of Water, who is, again, the best character in the movie because he's a fish wearing a diving helmet full of water. And he dances. He dances. Which, which doesn't sound cool, but he, but it is. <laughs> I have a quick question here. Um, how old did you guys think that Chicken Little was based on like just what you saw in the movie, not based on any interviews or anything? I was under the impression it was a high school thing just because of the whole baseball stuff. Yeah, I was going like like middle school, late middle school, early high school, somewhere in that range. Okay, so I guess I'm alone in this. I thought he looked like he was like six and I was completely confused. <laughs> Oh, he definitely yeah. looks that way. I agree with that. But I'm like Todd. I picked it up from like, okay, well, if he's in school and he's doing PE and he's playing baseball, he's got to be like older. But I agree. He looks like he's a little kid. Yeah, because in an interview, the director, Mark Dindle, said that they picked Zach Braff because they wanted to give a teenager edge to the character. And we should be clear, Zach Braff was what? Probably in his late 20s? 
Yeah. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Fair yeah, point. So that makes sense. Which, uh, to be fair, it does make total sense to cast Zach Braff as a character who's desperately seeking a father figure's approval, considering that is a large part of his character on Scrubs. Right. Which was fairly big at this time. As big as Scrubs mm-hmm. ever got, right? Yeah. Um, but this, is, this was my problem, though. It's like, okay, I get that you know, chick- we have to have the first part with the panic and Chicken Little in the sky falling. And then we have to have this follow-up where, you know, he's the outcast at school and his dad's disappointed in him. And then we get, you know, Abby is encouraging Chicken Little that he's got to talk to his dad. That he's got, to, you know, he's got to not just pretend or try to do better or whatever. Like, they have to talk about the fact that his dad doesn't approve of him, his dad's not proud of him or whatever. Um, and so Chicken Little, as they're driving home, decides instead that he's going to join the baseball team. And I have no idea where that plot twist came from. Yeah. They, they kind of said at some point that his dad played softball. Yes. Yeah. He got, after he got yelled at, at the principal's yep. office, and the principal was talking to his father, there, there, was, that bit, there was that little picture of, of him, and the, him and the carrier with the award. Right. Right, but but my point being, like, it goes straight from that to him joining the baseball team. You know what I'm saying? Like, so it was like there's no groundwork laid for this is how he's going to win his father's approval or anything like that. It's just like, hey, here we go. Here's him and the baseball thing. Okay, we're driving home. He's going to join the baseball team, and then we go down a rabbit hole of this baseball thing for like 15 minutes. Yeah, of course. And, and it doesn't play into really the rest of the movie. Like, there's never a point where it's like he has to do something baseball related to save the day in the finale or no. anything. I really feels like they just didn't have enough story to fill an hour and a half. Yeah. I also want to give a shout out to Wallace Shawn, who is the principal in this, also the principal from Goof Troop. Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, we should also mention while we're mentioning actors that this was Don Knotts' last film. Yes, yeah. it was. He plays mm-hmm. Turkey the Mayor. Lord. Yep. The mayor. Yeah. Which that's my favorite joke in the film is that uh, Turkey Lurkey, whenever he says anything, has a guy in black with sunglasses flipping uh, cards telling him what to do because he's a politician. (laughs) That was funny. Yeah. And I haven't seen that joke somewhere else. But this whole baseball sequence, like literally you could take him joining the baseball team to to the time that he wins the game at the very end out of the movie, and it would change zero. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. He could have just found the spaceship and made the connection that way. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, literally, like, I was watching it and going, like, I don't know why we're doing this, because basically he joins the baseball team, and he doesn't ever get in the game, and the coach doesn't want to put him on the team. Does You know, he sits on the bench the entire season, and then, of course, in the big game... Chicken Little has to go to bat. He tells him, don't swing at the ball because you're so tiny. They'll walk you. Just take the walk, and we'll let the next guy get up. Chicken Little's trying to win approval, so he doesn't do that. He swings at the ball and on the third strike, hits the ball, and actually makes it home. Um, like, And I know Dindle has the reputation for this, but this was so blatantly ripped off from Looney Tunes, it wasn't even funny. Yeah. I mean, this is this is the the short of Bugs playing baseball. Like that's what this was. Yeah, 
I think, if anything, this whole subplot actually makes the dad even less likable because of the fact that his son wins the baseball game and suddenly he's like, oh, yeah, that's my kid and I'm so proud of you, son, and let's hang out. And then it's like that just completely goes away again. Yeah, in a heartbeat it goes away again. Like, not even, like, you know... (laughs) It doesn't take... It's not like he, he gives him the benefit of the doubt after winning the baseball game. That's why... It doesn't make any sense for this to be in here. If we were looking at the movie, like the first thing to do would be cut that whole baseball scene altogether and just go straight to the end, which is, you know, when he gets home that night, he gets hit on the head by that same piece of the sky that fell out of the the sky earlier when he said the sky was falling. Like, that's where the story really picks up. If anything, that would actually make more sense because, like, if... If they picked it up that he the the piece of the sky falls on his head after he's had the worst day at school ever. Yes. <laughs> it just again, it just makes narrative sense. <laughs> oh, completely. Like you see that a year later he's down, he's still down, he's you know like the whole thing of him being lifted up by this baseball experience where he wins the big game and he's a hero or whatever, like it just kind of stops everything dead in its tracks. And then he goes back to being an outcast, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes later in the movie. Yeah. And so there's really nothing that that baseball experience brought to the table. And apparently he's such a famous outcast that they're actually making a movie about the thing that (laughs) that he did to make himself an outcast. Crazy little chicken. That was bothersome, too, because that's very clearly like... You know, hey, look, it's supposed to be like a spoof of like reality TV, Hollywood culture type stuff, which if you remember in 2005 was just really getting underway where they were making all the movies about, you know, real life people and things like that. And to me, like you want to talk about derailing the story. There's there's that where his dad, you know, laughs about the movie. And then at the very end of the movie where they make the admittedly humorous uh, film of what happens in the last half of this one, it's like that's five minutes of my life I don't get back. Yep. <laughs> it's true. I mean, like, if you took that piece out and you took the baseball piece out and made this like a 45 or t- an hour long movie, it might be a lot better. It might it would better also for be sure. a lot shorter. <laughs> it would be a lot shorter. <laughs> But hey, Dumbo was a 60-minute movie, and it did fine, you know? Sometimes you only have enough story for so long, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that was a big problem with this, is that the the concept was good, but there wasn't enough actual story there. Because the majority of the movie is not story, it's these big frantic sequences where there's people running through the streets of Oaky Oaks. Because there's, what, three to four of those. Quite possibly, yes. Yeah, there's at least three. I want to say there might be a fourth, but it's just people running through the streets and all the various sight gags that you can come up with uh, for doing that. But so yeah, so Chicken Little finds this piece of the sky, and he figure and and when he figures it out, he actually sees that it is it camouflages itself. So like he props it up against the wall, and it turns into the color of the wall, so you can barely see it. Like he sticks his arm behind it, and you can see his arm in it. Um, so it like reflects what's there so that it blends into the background. And that's how he figures out, oh, that's why I can't, I couldn't find it the last time. And he calls his 
friends over to help figure out what's going on. So Fish and Runt and Abby all come over to try and figure out what's going on. And of course, it's Fish Out of Water, who is the highly intelligent fish that figures it all out because he just pushes a button on the back and flies through the sky on it. Yes. Well, it's kind of like in uh, Hellboy with Apes to Man. That's what Fish reminds me of. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Fish, Fish is, I think, the, the key mastermind in the whole film. <laughs> he uncovers the plot. He does. Somebody had to. <laughs> and so they have to follow Fish to the aliens. Uh, so they go and... Via glow stick. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Fish and his glow stick, because he does like to rave. <laughs> I thought the glow stick was actually a clever way for them to have that happen. I, I agree. Again, because Fish is the mastermind. <laughs> you think he was actually behind the aliens? Uh, I mean, I think he was communicating with them at very least. Uh, obviously, he, he knew their language. Yeah, there you go. Just saying, he didn't learn it just like that. I think I think Fish was at least talking to them back and forth, but you know. But yeah, so they have to go into the spaceship to try and rescue Fish. Uh, and and this is where we really get uh, most of the char- these characters. Is like we, we know already that Abby has a big crush on Chicken Little. Uh, we get t- to learn a little more about Runt and his singing prowess and how he sings when he's nervous. Yeah. <laughs> Especially disco. And yeah. he's yes. And he's nervous. Yes. Also, that we see the aliens for the first time. Correct. We see well what we think are the aliens. Yes. Um, and like you said, they're very much War of the Worlds aliens. They totally are. I mean, they're just these like like egg-shaped orbs on top of spider legs, basically. Or Dr. Octopus tentacles. Pick your metaphor here. Yes. Uh, but yeah, the aliens, they managed to escape with fish and, and run away out of the, the alien spaceship. Uh, even though Runt says he could be left behind with, you know, water and chips and such. <laughs> And uh, the cute little baby alien thing follows him around, which we don't know its name at this point. Yeah, little little yeah. orange. Like, think of the hair on top of the little gnome things, and that's what the alien looks like. Not the gnome itself; just cut the hair off the top, the little puff of hair. That's he what he kind of like. he kind of looks like something out of the Lorax. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, he's just a big orange tuft of hair. Um, but they don't know he's out there, but he's following them around. Yes. And so Chicken Little, of course, because the spaceship is there and, you know, they've managed to escape, he runs to the, to the bell tower and rings the bell again. Well, you forget why, right? Because they, when they're in the spaceship, they discover the map of the solar system. Correct. Yeah, that's right. They have a, the map of the solar system and all the other planets that come from farther out before Earth are marked out with an X. And there's a big circle around Earth. And so he, he assumes at this point... And you know what happens when people assume that they are invading the planet. And so he and the, he and his friends run out and they go, he goes up to the bell tower, rings the bell again, like he did a year ago to say that, you know, there's, there's something happening and all the friends start running or all the townsfolk start running towards the baseball field where the spaceship is. And uh, right as they arrive, the spaceship cloaks itself. So nobody can see it because, mainly because Turkey Lurkey stops to pick up a penny. <laughs> the the way the crowd was the crowd of uh, townspeople was moving at that point was hysterical. I thought because it was kind of, funny. 
they're, they're all like huddled together and you just see their feet moving, which is very cartoony. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like this, uh, this, uh, I think that's part of the problem with this movie among others is that, like I said, this movie owes way more to Warner Brothers Looney Tunes animation than it does to Disney animation. Oh, yes. Yeah. And while I like Warner Brothers and Looney Tunes, um, there's a reason why Looney Tunes feature films don't work. You well, know what I mean? Unless you have high-powered basketball stars. Yes. <laughs> uh, even then... That, that is movie not a did movie that good. is aged well. Carol's point <laughs> yeah. that movie did do good because high-powered basketball stars were in it. Correct, yeah. I like that movie. <laughs> I like that movie too, but... Actually, between both that movie and this movie, honestly, like, I don't... You know, I'll say it now. I mean, I know we're a little early. Like, I don't hate either movie, and I don't have a problem watching either movie. It's just like, I don't... I'm not, like, I'm kind of neutral on them, right? I'm not, like, raving about them, and I'm not cursing their names. They're movies. They're not the worst. Yeah, no, I think that's exactly it. But but the difference between something like Chicken Little or Space Jam that you're referencing and something like like Snow White or Cinderella or Sleeping Beauty or even, you know, Tangled or Frozen is – you know, the story of the characters, the, you know, the, the pathos and the things that you feel not the gags are in service of everything else. Whereas right. in this, the gag is the thing. Right. Computer yeah. animation is a diff is a different type of animation and has different ways of telling the story than a cartoon does. And this is a computer animation and relied too much on the way cartoons work. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think the thing that also bothered me about Chicken Little, even against something like Emperor's New Group, which is very jokey, which is very gag after gag, um, is the fact that, for one, Chicken Little throws in all these, like, songs off the radio. Like, I think there's maybe one song that was actually written for the movie, and all the rest of them are either, like, modern bands doing covers of other songs or songs that were just already recorded and a lot of the music tends to be so on the nose it just (laughs) well it's it's they're trying to steal the shrek model right like i mean this is they're so totally trying to pull off you know smash mouth in shrek which doesn't age well if you go back and watch it i mean you know it doesn't really fit uh but it fits in that movie because of the way that movie is structured and that movie's set up but i would argue like if you go back and watch Shrek sequels where they stick with that same formula, it doesn't work as well. And this is, you know, like on par, I would say, with some of those sequels. I would say with the exception of two. I do enjoy Shrek 2 quite a bit. There you go. Uh, I quit watching after the first one because, as I said, I did not like it. I had to see I, – I was forced to see a couple of the others, but I, I did not see the second one. So I will defer to you on that one. But yeah, of course, all the, everybody comes in and uh, he is ostracized again because nobody can see the spaceship. Uh, and th- until the next day when when the little orange alien shows up. <laughs> By the way, I just want to say I love the dad fielding the phone calls. Yes. It's My- one of the few times in the movie I actually enjoyed the father character. And it was just because he's like, it's call after call after call. And his computer's going, you've got hate mail. Yes. <laughs> or your hate mailbox is full. <laughs> Yeah, 
but but that's the thing is like the little the 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 nice t- what could be like a fun touch of like having the acorn on the back of his computer instead of the apple it just feels off you know what i mean like it just like if we saw that same sort of thing if you saw that same sort of thing in like tangled or frozen it would feel weird yeah it's also yeah. not consistent i mean again here's why is because the movies within the movie well the movie within the movie at the end right doesn't line up to me with the indiana jones thing in the beginning when they reference it even though that's yeah. a good reference that's actually indiana jones and not like some acting out of indiana jones right yeah. exactly yes and that was my problem with it. Like, like it should have been like Chippendale Rescue Rangers, which mocks the same scene at several points, and they could have used that yeah. footage, and it would have worked better. Definitely. You know, because that whole, you know, stick within the realm of your universe thing, well, okay, there are no humans in this movie, so why are we seeing humans on a movie screen? Exactly. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. It's not consistent within the rules of its own universe, and therefore you don't believe in the universe, and you start questioning everything about what's happening. Uh Unfortunately, the townsfolk didn't question enough when they, when you know, Chicken Little's showing them that the sky is falling because you know, uh, the the little orange alien is there, and they figure out from Fish talking to him and from context clues that his name is Kirby, like you said, uh, and that he he has been left behind by the other aliens. Correct. And they have to figure out a way to uh, get him home, or figure out what they're going to do, and. It's not until the actual sky starts cracking and the aliens descend upon the town that his father goes, oh, I believed you the whole time, or I believe you now, and I will trust you. And at that point, I would be like, yeah, you know what, Dad? Why don't you just sit here? I'm good. I got this. I don't really need your help. (laughs) But Chicken Little's a bigger person than me. Not in size, in stature. Just, you know. (laughs) That was that was my that was one of my biggest problems with the whole movie is that you know the the gags are funny and everything's good but like the whole core of this is, should be between he and his father and I just did not believe that that character would at that point just take take the acceptance of his father you know in that moment when the world is basically ending and just go okay sure cuz he his father doesn't actually help him in any way I can see no <laughs> Not really. His father kind of like carries Kirby for him, which is probably something Chicken Little couldn't necessarily do himself. Well, it, then, okay, for, again, we're talking about the thing. At the end, he does carry Kirby, but like up until that point in the movie, everything they said is he's like, you know, he's the weakling and everything. I just couldn't believe the whole thing. Right. Yeah, it, that, I think inconsistent is probably, you're right, the best way to put it. Like, they don't really stick to the things that they establish. There's not there's not a Chekhov's gun in this thing, right? Like there's not something that's established early on that comes back to play later or anything like that. There's not consistent story logic. No. And so we get another scene of of the entire town running through the streets in a rampage. These people panic very easily. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And uh we see that they start getting zapped by the aliens. Yeah. And the aliens and start destroying them all. And we haven't mentioned much about Foxy Loxy, which is Amy Sedaris's character, who's like the popular girl in school, and she gets vaporized. Um, yeah. But she's the one who was picking on all of them in Dodgeball, and yeah. she gets vaporized. And well, she's the first one they should get vaporized. Yes. Yeah, buildings get vaporized, and yeah, the whole town gets destroyed, basically, uh, as they're trying to, between Runt 
and driving a fire truck and fish and Abby and Chicken Little and Dad. Like they're all running around different directions until finally uh, Runt gets a pep talk that he can survive, and he starts singing Gloria Gaynor. And that's when the yep. whole movie turns around at that point. <laughs> Disco saved the world. Yeah, is, Dad is, has a Captain America moment, don't forget. I did forget it. With the trash can lid, he like oh, deflects, yeah. he deflects the beams yeah. back at the alien, then he throws it and takes two more of them out. That's unfortunate. Dad took out more aliens than anyone else in the movie. Which nobody should have taken out the aliens, because what happens... Yeah. You know, when Chicken Little gets to the top of the bell tower, uh, he hands the, the you know, Kirby back, and he and Dad get zapped up into the spaceship. Um, now, I will say that the whole thing of the big voice with the aliens was funny. Yeah, but that was more of in the Martian stuff. I mean... Yeah, well, those, that's the thing. Those That whole conflict... Cause, so it turns out, like, obviously, they were... You know, they thought they had stolen the kid, and they hadn't stolen the kid, and it was a big misunderstanding, and the aliens fix everything, and, and so on and so forth. But there's this scene where after they're zapped into the spaceship, there's just this giant, you know, three eyes covered in red where they're going with the booming voice of, Why Why did you steal my son? Yeah, well, it was, with you know, the whole Wizard of the Oz Mm -hmm. Oz thing, right, because it's got fire going and all that stuff. But yeah, there's the big booming voice, and then the wife comes in and like, Melvin, you know, stop using the big voice. And, you know, they turn off the screen, and it's just this little tuft of hair guy sitting on top of one of those War of the Worlds-looking things. And he's like, oh, sorry, it was just a big misunderstanding. And that was Fred Willard, who's the best, (laughs) voice-wise. I mean, he he cracks me up. I have to ask, so the wife is upset that he's using a big booming voice. But she wasn't necessarily upset that they didn't just go talk to the townspeople and ask them, hey, have you seen my kid? As opposed to just, like, coming down and seemingly vaporizing everyone and everything in sight. Wait a second. Look look at it from their point of view, right? Remember back to the scene. No, 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 no. I mean, look, I know it's hard, and this is, like, probably the dumbest thing I'm ever going to do regarding this this movie. But but look, look at it from their point of view, right? The spaceship is their home. Their home is invaded when the first thing they do when they return to their home is they notice that their child is missing from its little electrical thing, okay, right? And so at that point, they, they jump to the conclusion, and again, it's – but that's fine because there's a lot of conclusion jumping in this movie um, – that their child was taken by the people who are invading their home, right? Yeah. Again, it's one of those conflicts that if people just took – like a minute and just talk to each other it would immediately be over <laughs> this is true about a lot of movies though yeah i was yeah. gonna say most movies are that way yeah this one especially so i felt like though i mean i just it's i understand that it's like they they see it as you came in and now my kid's missing but it's, it's also a bit of an overreaction considering they come to this planet like every year and haven't had any problems until now it, it's it's like, to me, it's like uh, an avatar with the unobtainium, right? Like, the, why do they need to deposit this under the tree? There's all these floating rocks all over the planet. They glow. <laughs> if, if we start analyzing potholes in Avatar, we'll be here all day. <laughs> I mean, we don't have that kind of time. 
new. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to be fair, Avengers could have never happened if Loki had just gone to therapy. So, I mean, you know, <laughs> there's there's a lot of movies that could be solved by just a little, a little talking. But yeah, so uh, during the middle of the fight, we skipped over the fact that Chicken Little talks to his father about how you know, emotionally, he let Chicken Little down, and he didn't listen to him enough, and and all this kind of stuff. And Chicken Little pretends to be an action hero and grabs Abby and kisses her, and you know, all yeah. this kind of stuff. It's it's like every bit of character development is sort of shoehorned into about a two minute sequence, so that we can get on with the crazy gags. Yeah. When did we ever get an, an indication that Chicken Little had any feelings for her? We didn't. Oh, okay. no, we do. We do. Um, at when the second time he's ringing the bell, it he's reluctant to ring the bell until Abby is put in harm's way. Uh, that's true. And, and then he rings the bell. It's it's hard. It's hard. You know, getting attacked by the aliens because the aliens pick her up and start to swing her around. That's what makes him ring the bell the second time. That is true. That's a good point. But yeah, so they work out the big deal with the aliens, and then. Uh, the aliens come down and actually reconstitute everything, even the people they zapped, which is a neat technology if you can do it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. I forgot one one other thing about the kiss. Um, yes. Is the foot pop a reference to Princess Diaries because it was directed by Gary Marshall, who is in this movie? Probably. Maybe. I mean, you know, foot popping has been a thing forever, though, in in movies ever since they existed, right? Because uh, it's yeah. a it's a silent movie trope, so... Yeah. I don't know. It's a good question. But yeah, so they put they put the whole town back together, including Foxy Loxy, who comes out as a southern belle instead of a popular girl picking on everyone, and her and Runt fall in love, <laughs> which is disturbing. Yeah. Well, technically, they're just like, she came back wrong, and he goes, no, it's okay. You don't have to set her She's right. Just perfect. leave her like this. <laughs> Which is wrong in and of itself. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's really distressing. And then they have this little, before the aliens go off, too, they have this little conversation about, like, sometime, someday one of that panel is going to fall off and hit someone in the head, and then the whole town realizes all the acorn right. thing was never happened. Exactly. Yep, and then uh, and then the credits roll. Basically. No, then they do the the movie within the movie. Oh, you're right. I forgot. They, I was trying to forget this. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Then they make a movie about all the things that just happened, where you know Adam West plays uh, Chicken Little and it's Ace. Ace Chicken Little, and there's you know it's a space adventure, and it's really terrible. <laughs> yep. But but it's a space adventure that references Ain't No Mountain High Enough before Guardians of the Galaxy did it. That's a fair point. And they did make a video game out of that movie. Yes. Well, the video game is actually, con- because they canceled the sequel, it's actually got the storyline of the sequel. Which is even a little bit more disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> what yeah. can you do? I right? don't know. Um, yeah. I hear you. I don't know. And then the credits. And there's... Dancing to Don't Go Break, go break Into My Heart, yeah, which is silly. Yep. <laughs> I thought you were going to say disturbing. I like when you say disturbing. <laughs> I don't know that it was necessarily disturbing. It was just odd. Yeah. One thing, I one of the second we were just, we keep going back to how great fish is. 
that thing he does with the magazines and the and the Empire State Building and King Kong is amazing. Yes, agree. It kind of comes out of nowhere though, and doesn't ever come back. Like I thought that maybe that was a setup for later on he'd again pull out his paper folding abilities, but it's it's just kind of in that one scene and then never <laughs> brought back. Yeah, I mean, that, I think that's the thing is like you were saying earlier, Todd. It's not like this is like horrendously bad. Like this isn't a Beverly Hills Chihuahua, no. you know, brave little toaster to the rescue kind of movie. Like the stuff that's in it in individual pieces are pretty entertaining. You know I mean? Like they're the things, little tidbits and jokes and things like that. It's just, they don't fit together to make a movie. Yeah. They're just like little things that are here and there that are interesting. And, you know, I think the concept's kind of funny and, and interesting and it's a, it's a neat idea. But it's, I don't know, it's just not, it doesn't come together as a whole because not a heart to the story and there's not a, uh, a cohesiveness to what they're, they're trying to do. Yeah, it's, it's not like overtly offensive, like something like One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing, but that doesn't, right. mean, it, that doesn't mean it's a good movie. Yeah, as, as you can tell by the reviews. Yeah, but yeah. All right. So, anything else you guys want to add? I I have a few stray notes, um, mainly about the director Mark Dindle. Um, For one, that he has one of the absolute best movie credits I've seen, which is director of the Nazi invasion sequence in The Rocketeer. (laughs) Nice. And I also wanted to point out that um, he directed Cats Don't Dance and Emperor's New Groove before this. And then he left Disney after Chicken Little, and he really hasn't done a whole lot since then. Um, and as far as the screenwriters, two of the screenwriters, uh, Ron Friedman and Steve Bennett, Benesick, I think is how you say his name, uh, they were attached to a movie called Gullible's Travels, which is about a man time traveling via a porta potty. Um, and as of 2000, they were attached to this, but as far as I can tell, it hasn't been made and it's now eight years after the fact so don't know if that's ever happening probably not <laughs> probably. Yeah, I guess no. <laughs> yeah and i also just wanted to mention i love steve zahn i i really enjoy him quite a bit he's a great voice actor I, he's awesome in phineas and ferb but i and i wish that they would have played a bit more to his strengths i as i, I like actor. him in um that thing you do yes that's the one thing i really liked him in well, then let us uh, rate the film. Uh, Rachel, why don't you take the first stab at it? Um, you know, I've been going back and forth a lot on this, and I want to give this movie two stars, but I just, I, I can't. I can't really feel, I don't really feel like it deserves two stars. I'm going to give it one and a half, and that's mainly for the design of Chicken Little. Um, yeah, it's... I mean, you have an amazing cast here. They could have done something really special with this, but I it's again just missed opportunity. Yeah. Uh and Todd, what about you? So I probably like it a little bit more. Um I I feel like like I said, I'm very neutral to it, but I find a lot of those jokes that are thrown throughout the movie despite not really fitting well with the movie. I kind of find them funny, so I find myself laughing through the movie at them. So for me, I'm going to go with 2.25. 
Yeah, I think I'm probably right there with you. I would give it a two because, you know, I, I do find the jokes somewhat funny. Um, I, I really like the design elements and things, but, you know, all the drawbacks are the things we've been talking about. It doesn't really hang together that well in uh, the animation, especially the backgrounds. It's sometimes hard to look at for me. Uh, what about you, Cheryl? I This is hard. <laughs> um, I think it's about a two and a half, maybe 2.35. I mean, it's not one... I think it's one of the background movies. We discuss a, right, you know, right. a background movie all the time. This is one that you can, like, literally leave in the background, do some cleaning, or, or, like, catch in the middle of it, and you'll be fine. Yeah. You're not going to gain anything by watching it from start to finish. I'll tell you that. I mean, I think it's, like, worth the renting it if you've never seen it. Definitely spend the three bucks on renting it. It's like yeah. that's like not a big deal. I wouldn't go stop if it were showing at Disney and like watch it. No. Yeah. Well, and like you said, it does occupy a kind of an interesting place in Disney history. You know what I mean? So uh, it's worth it's worth seeing just for that. So, well, that is our look at Chicken Little. If you guys agree with us or disagree with us, let us know. You can find us, of course, on social media at Dis Film Project. On Twitter, you can find us on Facebook, Disney Film Project, or you can email us, DisneyFilmProject at gmail.com. Please do that. You can leave a note in the show notes over at uh, DisneyFilmProject.com. That's a good way to get in touch with us as well. So please let us know. We love to hear what you guys think of the show and uh, if you agree with us on, on the movies and things. Really like to hear that from you guys. And then, of course, if you're listening to the show on iTunes, we'd appreciate if you go and leave a rating or a review. That is very helpful. It helps people find the show, helps people to know that when they're looking for Disney film information, they can come uh, listen to the show or go to the website. That helps. Uh, and, of course, you can always listen on Stitcher or on Diz Dad's radio as well. So we appreciate those guys for carrying the show. All right, so that's going to do it for this week's episode. Uh, until next week, folks, for Todd, Cheryl, and Rachel, I'm Ryan. We'll see you again soon. Oh, we surrender. Here, take the key to the city. Don't tap the glass. They hate it when you do that. This excitement isn't just about the fun of baseball. It's not about the prize. It's about the gloating and rubbing their noses in it. The na 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 we beat you taunting, if you will, that comes with the winning. Runt, that's enough. Don't make Mommy take away your Streisand collection. 